Welcome back to Rethinking Politics. We're glad to have you guys here with us for episode 80. Of course, today we're going to be talking about Russia and Ukraine. I've already had several people I know ask me if we're going to be talking about Russia and Ukraine in our upcoming episode. And I told them, no, we're going to be talking about global warming. We've been putting global warming off. And, and today we finally decided <laughs> it's, it's never it's, seemed more pressing. It's never seemed more pressing. Let's break it down. Let's look at the stats. Let's look at, you know, the numbers and everything. And we're going to help you guys figure this thing out. Seriously, though, we are going to talk about Russia and Ukraine. But before we do, I just wanted to have a, a couple of, uh, of uh, corrections and interesting notes. I mean, not a couple of corrections, a couple of things, including a correction. Uh, the correction is from our episode last week when we talked about Sandy Hook and the lawsuit against Remington. We were discussing frivolous lawsuits, and, and a lawsuit we brought up in that context was the, uh, the McDonald's coffee case, which was Liebeck versus McDonald's restaurants, where, where a lady poured coffee on herself and sued McDonald's. Um, Dan, you did end up qualifying that depending on how hot the coffee was, it may not have been frivolous. But in that context, we implied that it was frivolous. So we wanted to clarify, mm -hmm. this was definitely not a frivolous lawsuit. Um, uh, Stella Liebeck, who was the 79-year-old plaintiff or victim, I'm confused about who sued who. No, she'd be the plaintiff, um, ended up receiving third-degree burns that required her to be hospitalized for several days and took two years of uh, medical treatment, including skin grafts, to, to deal with. I mean, third-degree burns are bad. Once you get third-degree burns, they don't just heal. The, the treatment becomes much more complicated. And right. It turns out it's like one of the most excruciating things you can ha experience. E exactly. Well, and yeah, it's not just that, but it's in most cases, it's permanent to some degree. You know, the skin grafts mm -hmm. mean that, mm -hmm. that that skin was not going to heal. And, and on top of that, in the case, it turns out that McDonald's admitted that they had known for 10 years that at least 10 years that their coffee was too hot and they had received, you know, and there were cases in the past and there were evidence that there was something wrong and they didn't do anything about it. And so right. calling that a frivolous lawsuit is not accurate. It was definitely a legitimate lawsuit. And we just wanted to clarify that. Right. You don't get to, you don't get to say, I told you it was a hot drink when it's roughly the temperature of molten lava. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When it's, <laughs> there's a scale of like, <laughs> when it, when yeah. it's so hot that it's causing permanent physical bodily damage after five to seven seconds, which is how hot the coffee is, is, this, is designed to be heated to at that time, which is 180 to 190 degrees. Yes, Fahrenheit. that's neglect on the part of the company. Absolutely. Yes. So and, wanted, and, wanted, and warrants a lawsuit. So I wanted, wanted to clarify that. Um, also wanted to, uh, to let you know that on Spotify, several of our episodes now have a little disclaimer where you can learn more about COVID-19. It's something that Spotify has added recently. I assume it's because of all of the Joe Rogan stuff that's been going on. This is Spotify's way of, of placating people that now you can click on that link and learn more about COVID-19. So that's fantastic. That, the, the, <laughs> that disclaimer is not fantastic. What's fantastic is that not only does Joe Rogan have them, but we have them too. And so I've never felt more special in my life. Um, so congratulations that someone thought we were worth if not censoring, then at least, uh, you know, uh, 
clarifying, fact you checking. know, fact checking. Yeah, something. It's not exactly fact checking because it's not like they're going through episode, but they're like, hey, here's the correct information if you were looking for it. So if anyone's looking for the correct information on COVID, feel free to go one of our COVID episodes and click on those links and get taken somewhere else. <laughs> we're doing what we can to get the correct information out there by providing content that can get that, flagged. That can get flagged, that you can exactly. Click on the link. It's the fastest <laughs> way to correct information. So we, we do what we can. <laughs> oh. Anything else? <laughs> I I just want to say that that we've talked about Russia quite recently, and I did not see this coming, Dan. I no, we you know we talked a lot about didn't. Russia <laughs> posturing, <laughs> and and how stuff like this has happened before, and we didn't think mm-hmm. it was going to lead anywhere nearly as far. We definitely didn't think it was going to lead to a full scale in, invasion. And to the point that I had a hard time believing it when I read the first the first few headlines. I thought they were – I honestly thought the media was blowing it out of proportion and mm-hmm. that it was some kind of skirmish on the border until I read about the scope of what was happening that I realized, no, this actually is a full-scale invasion because I just did not see it coming. It, 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 it deeply surprised me. It, I'm still surprised by it, and, and I, I become increasingly surprised. Um, there, there world, there's a world in which you know things change, and certain facts on the ground adjust. You know, other players become involved. Things like that that will make sense of it for me. That I will look back and I will say, I can see why they did this, and it made sense for them to do this. In you know, not moral sense per se, but but uh, mm-hmm. they, they were, that they they had a plan that was going to lead to a good place for them. Um. Yeah, As before, it is, I don't be- see that yet, but we'll, we'll get into that. Before we get too far along, Dan, why don't you tell us where we are? What's happening? You know, we're recording right. this on, on Wednesday, you know, the, the 2nd of March, which hopefully we'll be releasing it tomorrow. So we're trying to stay as up to date as yeah, possible. In the morning, here. which matters because obviously with how things are changing and- Yeah, um, a whole it, day's it, worth it, of events can happen. Yes, yes. Uh, Kiev is, at this point has not fallen, um, which is important because that will be- the big news in the near future. Um, it's extremely likely to fall. Uh, Russia has just got too much firepower, but, but it hasn't, and it should have fallen earlier <laughs> given the amount of firepower that Russia has. So uh, that gives you some, some gauge of where we are. Obviously, once that changes, a lot of things will change. Um, what's interesting, uh, aside from what's happening in Ukraine, which we'll talk about in more detail, what's happening to Russia is worth noting. The Russian economy is, is going through it's really bad. It's a really bad time to be investing in Russia or doing anything along those lines, which is to say the sanctions have, have been effective and all of the other, and obviously within the level of sanctions being effective, there's a lot happening there. And mm-hmm. I don't want that word to imply more than I, than I want it to. By effective, I mean the sanctions are seriously hurting the Russian economy. The ruble fell 25 to 30% before, uh, and could fall a lot further. Um, it likely already is falling a lot further, right? Depending on which which point you start. Yeah, there's no started. reason for it to stop falling at this point. Yes, interest rates uh, because of the fall of the ruble, you're going to get the the relative value of the ruble. The you're going to get massive inflation, which they're experiencing. The Federal Reserve of Russia uh, increased the interest rate from nine percent to twenty percent. Um, again, probably not its final resting place, but that was the, the numbers that we found. And, and it's going to have to do more than that if it wants to stop inflation. There was a run on Russian banks 
as they saw that the sanctions were going to prevent well, I wouldn't people say from was there's there's continuing is, to be yes at least as of yes, right now at this point you probably can't get your money moved very far mm-hmm. if at all mm-hmm. um but uh people were trying to convert their currency into their rubles into anything but rubles is i think the official desire of the people um you you invested in hard goods of any kind would be better, but obviously any business investment in Russia is going to be bad. Ideally, you get it into some other currency. Which is why Russia has banned their their citizens from doing that. Yes, so Russia froze that too. Um, of, all of these things have escalating effects. If the ruble looks bad and then people get out of the ruble, the ruble gets worse. And so mm-hmm. this is why the U.S. has this too and would probably do this kind of thing too if the, if the dollar ever fell very far. Um, they probably wouldn't be able to, hopefully they wouldn't be able to go this far and that our, our various legal protections would stop yeah, us. But, but things but some like of the, the stock things market was like, frozen. Yeah. Oh yeah. You didn't yeah. mention that. Yeah. The state Russia, Russia froze their stock market on Monday and it's been closed since then, which is a long time. Yes. The U S does this occasionally. If there, if there's this change above a certain margin, you, you freeze it temporarily because what you don't want is people, people, something goes wrong. A stock shifts. People react to the shift by leaving. It, it shifts further, further people. You get the spiraling effect. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Th- that's at least the reasoning of why the federal, uh, why the, what is it? The SCC probably, uh, or FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. I mean, it's complicated because each of the stock exchanges are, are, are tied in with these other government agencies that have different yes. policies and things. But yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, um, so they froze that and. All that's to say, uh, various businesses that have uh, uh, factories and things in Russia are pulling out. Um, in some of these cases, it's devastating. Russia, the way it was centrally, centrally planned so much of its economy, you would get towns with massive factories, and that is the thing the town does in mm-hmm. a way that just doesn't happen in a market economy. And so you get like you'll get like five hundred thousand people around this factory. And everybody works for this factory virtually. And then you have, you know, the other things that keep a town running. But uh, you, I guess you can relate to that to some degree in, in certain American towns. But those, some of those factories are going to be leaving. And Russia stopped that too. They, they wanted to prevent as many assets as possible and investments as possible from withdrawing from their economy in order to salvage uh, what wealth they can. But, but their efforts are going to have – they'll be able to stop some of it. But in practice, the damage is done. Their economy is going to be devastated, already is, and will be for the foreseeable future, and it's, it's, even if everything stopped. And it's worth noting that it's not just sanctions that are doing this. There, there are several mm-hmm. factors that are taking place. And, and the sanctions, in many ways, one of the, their biggest influences was being a signal for, for everyone, yes. to, not just governments, but individual businesses are going out of their way to punish Russia. I mean, you have so many businesses withdrawing their business from Russia. You have Russian products that aren't selling. I mean, it's it's widespread and almost universal, this turn against Russia, which is much more than the sanctions. I mean, for example, one of Russia's largest imports is actually is is oil. It's fossil fuels. They're the the third 
I believe they're the third largest producer of oil in the world. Yeah, and they're second or third, depending on I think how, how you, you measure it. And, and you, yeah, in terms of exports, and as people and talk like about that. these things, talk about net importer and net exporter, it becomes very complicated because it's all about how you define it. You know, we talk about gasoline, you talk about <laughs> oil, you talk about all you know petroleum products. It all becomes much more complicated. But in simple terms, it's one of the largest exporters, and. And none of the sanctions have targeted that yet. You know what I mean? The, the, the Western <laughs> world is still accepting Russian oil on paper. And yet, even with that being the case, there are have already been moves made by individual businesses to no longer deal with Russia when it comes to oil. And that's starting to have an effect as well, which is why the, you know, the Western world has already worked to release what was it, 60 million barrels of, of oil from yeah. reserves in order to offset that? Because why would you need to offset it if nothing was happening? Because technically there hasn't been a sanction. But even without that sanction, there is going to be a reduction in in Russian oil sales just because of individual private companies that are making decisions. Yeah. And it's, it's actually really cool to see that all these people who are responding to to a cause that they see as just – and you know, putting their their money where their mouth is, I think it's quite cool. Yeah, people, individual stores pulling uh, products from Russia, right? They're just yeah, just yeah. grabbing, grabbing something like we're not going to sell this. Yeah, it's going to benefit people. It's going to benefit the Russians, and and as such, we're not going to we're going to we want to do people and there's a real like united wartime mentality here. And individual companies that won't sell in Russia. I think it was Apple who said, yeah, yeah we're not going to sell our products in Russia starting right now. And other yeah, companies are doing very similar things. This is, yeah, this is, this is, whatever else happens, Russia cannot gain more from taking Ukraine than, they're, than they've already lost right now. Like if everything, if you just said this is over, everybody go back to business. Russia will not get, there, there's nothing in Ukraine they can get that's going to be worth more than economically than the damage that they're taking right now mm-hmm. and what they've done to their name. This is why, this is why Brad and I looked at this and we were like, Russia's not going to invade Ukraine. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't and, make and sense. And this right now is proof. You know, Russia Russia has not lost this war. If if anything, they are winning this yeah. war, just not just not as quickly or as or as as effectively as as they should have given their vast military superiority. But it doesn't yes. change the fact that win or lose this war, they're going to lose, as you said, because it doesn't – the math doesn't add up. The war wasn't that important in terms of, in terms of what they're getting to their military and their, you know, their government. Like the, the, most, of, most of what drives the world is economics. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that you take a country in order to take their treasure and stuff um, and stuff. At least that was part of the pretext. In fact, a lot of what it was was glory. It mm-hmm. was it was the kings and their their claims to title of other foreign lands and the way their families mixed together and the like. The European wars of old were mostly about glory, and uh, and it cost them stuff to get glory, and that was that was the exchange. This is this is this war is a disaster. In another crazy part about it is the Russians seem to know it. The Russian people. I wanted to point out, because we're talking about just the devastation of the Russian economy. The Russian people don't deserve this. At least as far as I can tell. They they don't seem to no, be that's, that's on a, board that's with this war. That's a very fair statement. They're, they're they not. They don't deserve this. And, and they're, they're frankly, 
it seems that they are surprised that Russia invaded Ukraine. Well, which is well, like, and, and and Dan, you got to understand that that Russia has almost entirely state-controlled media, and so the information yeah. Russians are getting on what's happening in Ukraine in Ukraine has been. <laughs> has been piecemeal you know that for actual information because all of the official yes, narratives of what they're doing there, have yes. been you know propaganda and and usually straight out lies i mean yes and and uh, i watched a documentary uh put out by the russian government uh this morning on this that was a that was a lot of fun where they were <laughs> the u.s is is created this puppet government in ukraine that is slaughtering uh russian you know, that's committed all kinds of war atrocities against uh, Russians in Ukraine and the and the and the truly the what's the, the ultimately Russian Ukrainian people that are there. And mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like it's a it's a very you know some of that has little bits of 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 accuracy. There were certainly things that you'd probably call war crimes that have happened in the civil war there and different things like that. But it. The propaganda is real, for sure. But but what's interesting, Dan, is that in the 21st century, it's become so much more difficult to lie to an entire people. Um, yeah. If you go and you look at a – I'm not sure if this is still the case because I know Russia started cracking down on it. But, but for at least a while in the past few days, when you would go and look on Google at restaurants in Moscow – and you would look at photos and look at recent photos of that restaurant where people can mm-hmm. show their food in the in the restaurant and stuff. You would see photos of 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 Ukraine and the bombings that took place in Ukraine, and there would be you know photos of of text exchanges and information that was trying to be conveyed to the people mm-hmm. of Russia through this unconventional means. Because once you have access to some form of the internet, there's so many different ways. That's just one example. Of the ways where information was getting was getting through, and what's fascinating is, you know, the Russian media machine started talking about the uh, the operatives of the U.S. government, the trained U.S. operatives who were planting this disinformation on all of these websites by, you know, to try and confuse the the Russian people, which is amazing because it's just average ordinary yeah. people, the same people who take the time to. Uh, to update Google's information on Google Maps, you know, I still don't know who these amazing people are, but <laughs> but these these people with time on their hands and the willingness to go through and 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 just slowly go through this piece by piece to add this information to those who can benefit from it, you know, it's it's a crazy world that that we're in. I saw a uh, I I saw a TikTok video of of a a U.S. military veteran who was posting videos on TikTok in English with Ukrainian captions describing how to set up a sniper ambush. Not a sniper ambush, but a sniper position. And that he was trying to get out through TikTok to the people of Ukraine as just information for for the defense, the territorial defense. Because there's a large number of of civilians in Ukraine who now have weapons and are tasked with defending their cities. And so he's like, what can I do to help? This is what I'm going to do. This is what I know. I'm going to try and get it to the people who can benefit from it. Just crazy things like that. Isn't that wild? That is so cool. I mean, this is something that you don't, that didn't happen during World War II. During World War II, the Japanese and German people had no idea what was going on. 
beyond what was being told to them by their government. I mean, there are stories of people who were able to listen to radio, you know, to to Radio Free Europe. It may not have been called that at the time because it was a precursor to it. But but whatever the the British radio was called during World War II, and I'm embarrassed I can't remember if it's not Radio Free Europe um, because I'm thinking of the Cold War, but would listen to that and would try and print up news pamphlets that had information about what was actually going going on and they were often put to death because control of information was so important yes. in Germany and they used that control of information to control their people and they were able to do it to a large degree even though there were still still gaps in that control but today it's just it's just a thousand times harder. There are so many more yeah. gaps that can be exploited. And that's demoralizing the Russian people. It's demoralizing the Russian troops, which is making everything that much more difficult for Putin, which is fantastic. It is fantastic. Um it's a, it it is absolutely a shame for the Russian people who like I said, I, this doesn't seem to be their fault, and they're going to suffer immensely for it. And there isn't if if we were to if there were a way to handle this perfectly justly, right, it would not harm the innocent people. War is on such a scale that it's that that's basically impossible. And so I, I I hate war for that very reason. You can never limit it. You can it's at least extremely difficult and and in the broader scale, it's certainly impossible. In, in perhaps in an individual occurrence, right? Some individual engagement, you can limit things. And you can try to prevent collateral damage. You can try to but even even then, fighting the soldiers, the soldiers are <laughs> – we talk about non-combatants and you shouldn't kill innocent civilians. Some of the soldiers are just as innocent, right? They're not – they didn't sign up to go uh, siege Ukrainian cities. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a – it's and, and speak, terrible. Speaking of that, have you heard the story of the the group of, of Russian soldiers who, as soon as they, they found out what they were supposed to be doing there – actually surrendered to Ukrainian forces. No. And, and they told them they thought they were there on it was like a peacekeeping, a peacekeeping or, or training mission. drill yes. exercise. And then all of a sudden their orders changed and they were told to actually start fighting. And they were like, whoa, we're not supposed to, we, we 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 didn't come here to fight. And they actually surrendered because they they didn't believe like it was just too much for them. Have I and I but, haven't no, verified that, that's it. Awesome. That's, there are a lot of stories that are coming I hope through that's right now. True. I should as a I grain of salt as we're reporting, as things are happening, you know, yep. many of these individual facts could be wrong, and we, there's no time to verify it now. But yeah, things almost like that certainly, are definitely hopeful. Almost certainly, the 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 anecdotes about particular occurrences, like I heard about a, an old man who's 80 years old who went and volunteered for the for the army. There, they turned him down. They they are turning volunteers for the both the civilian side and the army side away because they lack the equipment and the, the leadership to actually deploy them and yeah. have them be useful. Um, but he uh, supposedly showed up with a briefcase with two shirts and two pairs of pants and, uh, and said, I want to go, <laughs> I want to go defend Ukraine. You know, and this, this whole, like uh, there are other stories like that too, where, where the Ukrainians, we do know this much about the Ukrainian effort. It has been absolutely heroic in their efforts to fight off the Russian invasion. Even even with the variety of problems Russia's had, he mentioned the morale. There's there's other organizational issues um that I want to get into. They Ukraine to have held so long has been just awesome. 
just extremely moving. I get emotional talking about this, this war in the Ukrainians and the suffering Russians who didn't bring this upon themselves. Which brings us to the, the real question, right? The one that I think everybody's wondering or should be wondering. What on earth was Russia thinking? Why, why would you invade? And it's hard to tell who gets to call the shots. Obviously, Putin's in charge. And ultimately, Putin is responsible. But it, I don't know who, you know, how many other figures have the kind of power and signed on to this. I don't know the internal politics of Russia very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what were they thinking? We, the U.S. called it entirely. And I thought the U.S. was just, as Brad mentioned earlier, we thought, I did not think Russia would invade. I didn't think they would invade. I didn't think there was a chance in heck they invaded. Um, no, and they it, did and invade. It turns out what the U.S. did was actually and an intelligent the U.S. Move. totally called it. That, that they were using the, the knowledge that the it U.S. Was, government had. It, it may have been critical. Mm-hmm. As a, as a tactical strategy. Yeah, the reason, the, yes, the reason, the reason what the U.S. did was, was absolutely in, in full credit to Biden and the U.S. military. They have, they are extremely effective. The U.S. military is extremely effective at doing whatever it is they're going to do. Now, often their missions are terrible. <laughs> often what they're doing, I don't agree with. Often the counterintelligence stuff in the, in the CIA, uh, coups and things are terrible and, we are rightfully skeptical. People should be rightfully skeptical of the U.S. military and what they're doing. When they said there's going to be a false flag attack, Russia is planning false flag attacks and they're going to invade. That now makes sense. Because the only way that Russia keeps morale high and keeps, we, we've talked about how basically the world is united against them. With few exceptions, China abstained. It didn't support them. They're, they have like two international supporters. Um, India abstained, which is odd, but Syria and Iran are the only ones who were like, yeah, you should be in Ukraine. That universal disapproval, the universal condemnation, which has led to this absolute cru- just devastation of their economy, is because it's very clear that they are invading Ukraine and Ukraine didn't deserve it. And that clarity would be lost if there was an effective false flag attack where Russia was able to paint the Ukrainians as doing something terrible to the citizens there that the international community should intervene in. If there had been an effective false flag attack, everything right now would be different. The way the world looks at it, the, the Russian economy, the defense of Ukraine, if they could have muddied the waters enough, the world would be an extremely different place and Russia would be looking much, much better. And that's the, that's one of the reasons why you have misinformation campaigns, right? You don't need to prove it. You just need to make it look gray enough that people say, who knows? We're never really going to know what happened. And once you're at that point. And that's what happened in 2014. mm -hmm. It was, it was clearly. I mean, looking back at it now, it was clearly a, a, a Russian act of aggression, but at the time it was muddied up enough that no yes. one did anything. No one really cared. Yes, yes I mean, that we could say, cared, well, it's But the... not enough to do there, – there was not the response there was today. No, the, the international response was we don't know. And so what do, you, what do you do? You had people with opinions and things, but the local players obviously care a lot. <laughs> they're the people involved actually in the fighting and the conflict in their countries. 
But as far as the broader world goes, if it's too gray, people just shrug their shoulders and move on. The fact that it's not gray is what's devastated the Russian economy. And it's not gray in large part because of the U.S. And Ukraine did not appreciate the U.S. meddling. They said, what are you doing? You're going to make this happen. And and perhaps there is a case to be made. Uh, we don't have enough to, to say this definitively at all, or even to do much more than speculate. Perhaps a case can be made that the invasion wouldn't have happened without these things. But it seems pretty clear now that the intent was to invade, um, mm-hmm. and that and that there was a plan to make the invasion look much more defensive, and to actually fit the propaganda that Russia is telling mm-hmm. its people. Um, but that propaganda did not get out in time. Right the 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 whole initial engagement seems to have been really really fumbled in terms of the level of propaganda and misinformation, and in what in painting what this should look like to the rest of the world and to the Russian people. There's a number of other things that are interesting. Um, the initial engagement, other sketchy things about the initial engagement uh, that I think suggest more and more or, or help us arrive at a, a picture of what the, the motivation may be. The Russian units that were there supposedly conducting training exercises um, there's a lot of reason to think that is what they thought. The Russian soldiers thought they were conducting training exercises and they were pulled from a variety of regiments. And so that they were not, they were not actually coherent units prepared to engage, you know, who trained together and those kind of things. Yeah. And this and matters a great deal when the invasion starts. Invasion. <laughs> yeah. This That's really begins to matter in a war. Buildup. I mean, when yes. you think of when the U S has gone to war, especially when the U S has done well, it's because the troops went there to fight. I mean, it's something to be said for World War II. He's a clear when, bad guy. That when those troops went to fight, they were committed. You know what I mean? And and when they're not committed, they often don't do as well. I mean, that, that could be argued as part of the problem with wars like Vietnam is you have, you know, when you've got conscripted troops who aren't motivated, when the, when the goals and the purposes are unclear and the people aren't behind you, it makes everything more difficult. Yes. Yes. And while Russia will probably win this war in Ukraine, they are in for a world of hurt for the foreseeable future. Their, their actions have been so bad and so universally, seemingly clear uh, internationally that they are inspiring freedom fighters from other countries. You're getting people volunteering from places like uh, Great Britain to go and join the Ukrainian army. British citizens who are like, I'm going to go fight for Ukraine. That's a, that is a really, really bad sign. You get that. You get that in World War II. You get that in some of these other, like clearly, uh, more black and white engagements. And Russia. By, should- by the way, I want to clarify: it is probable that Russia will win, but it is far from a certain thing. You know what I mean? That, yes. That yes. how bogged down they've gotten is evidence of how incredibly well Ukraine is doing and how well the Ukrainians yes. are fighting. And so at this point. At least it's my belief that anything could happen. Russia very well could win or it could stagnate. And, and stagnation will quickly turn into a, into a defeat for Russia with how quickly the world and Russians themselves are turning against the government. Yes. You know, if they do not finish it soon, they will not finish it. Yeah, exactly. That's, and so, that's absolutely and that's, true. And that's what Ukraine can hope for because Ukraine doesn't need to beat 
the entire yes. military might of Russia. They just have if to stall it. If that's the case, then yeah, Russia will definitely win. But Ukraine just needs to hold on, you know, and, and every day they can hold on makes Russia's position worse and their position better because the entire Western world is trying to get equipment and supplies and weapons to the people of Ukraine. And it just takes time. And so every day they buy is making their position better. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible that Russia was buying their own propaganda. You know, the Russian leaders, people like Putin, thinking that the Ukrainians would be much happier to, you know, at least that a significant amount of the population really would side with Russia. And some of them have. Some of them are, see this as a, or at, or at least, least saw this initially. Them. Yes. Uh, as it is, the Russian, pe the Ukrainian people, I've done the exact opposite. They've made it as clear as, as it's possible to make it that they do not want to be ruled by Russia in any form. And it's, and it's not clear what Russia's end game is here, if they would actually absorb Ukraine or if they would, uh, establish a new government in Ukraine and have it, you know, give it the pretext of independence, give it the, the, the appearance of independence. Um, but they, uh, yeah, that, that's another way in which, which Russia may have miscalculated in a, in a serious way. Because it's one thing to look at the Ukrainian army, which was not great. Even though, even though Ukraine has like 47 million people, like it's a, it's a third of the size of Russia, but that's pretty big. It is not a small country. Um, and, uh, but it's another to fight against an arm when everyone's got a gun on every street corner. Making progress becomes extremely hard, as we learned in Afghanistan and other places. Right? You can't, you can't, it's one thing to crush the military, you know, hit the big buildings, destroy the, you know, the, the bunkers and whatnot. And it's another to then make progress when you're getting shot at from every window. And what do you, mm -hmm. that, that be the guerrilla element of it could really stall it out. And at that point, there's going to be, there's going to be an interesting place or could be an interesting place where Kiev falls. And then you get Russia trying to declare victory, but they're still being massive amounts of resistance, you know, trying to make it look mm -hmm. like it's over because they, mm -hmm. they must also know that they're on the clock. And I just don't see how, yeah, I don't see how they close this out in a clean way, given the world has united against them in such a, such a critical way. That's a good point. Maybe, maybe Ukraine wins. I think in the long run, Ukraine probably does win. I don't, and by long run, I mean over a series of years where they're just making it, you know, where it's just a lot of trouble for Russia. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. It's, yeah, there's a it's lot interesting. Of Foreign policy is so hard. Foreign policy is so hard. Um, there, there's so much at play. Um, the, the, uh, the piecemeal regiments that I was mentioning, it's, they should be able to make much more, much faster progress through the fortifications and defensive positions of, of Ukraine. But they seem to be having issues, not just logistically, which I think people have heard about where, where, uh, you know, they don't have the fuel or the ammo they need at such and such a place. And so you've got vehicles that are just discarded or, or waiting on the side of the road and things like that. Um, to take down a fortification, if with a superior force, you, uh, obviously defenders have to some degree an advantage, um, but you, so you have to make some kind of coordinated effort. And if the at the level of coordination, it's not happening smoothly, you get bogged down. You can still eventually mm -hmm. overwhelm it, but you need, you need the pieces to be in place at the right time. You need the artillery hitting as the flank comes in 
on the side, you know, in repositions. And as this group moves forward and as this, you know, the, the pieces need to be happening simultaneously. And that coordination is really, really hard. And it's in some ways the point of all the training. <laughs> it's the, to be able to bring all these pieces to bear. And the fact that these, these groups have not trained together and are, and are disparate groups who, uh, with different ideas, it's, it's been, it's been a mess. Thankfully for the Ukrainians, it's turned their heroic efforts into something fruitful, which then inspires more people. If, uh, <laughs> if you try really hard, you can have the bravest people in the world and they're getting outgunned by a, a really well maneuvered military. You know, it's not going to, their courage just isn't going to matter that much, but it is here. It is here in part because the, of the, the failures of the Russian military to, to be able to really execute it well. Um, they were also in bad positions going into it. They were in a position where they could invade, but it wasn't an ideal position, seemingly in part because they wanted it to look like something else. And so they went in from bad positions to try and coordinate something that they're unable to coordinate together very well, and the logistical support just isn't there. And the, then, as you said, the morale and the, the, the serious resistance, and it's... Yeah, it all it's the reverse of a land war of Asia. <laughs> Usually we're talking about you don't invade Russia, right? They're the ones that But no, in this case, the land war in Asia is, is hurting Russia. <laughs> yes. They're the victims of their own, uh, what's traditionally been their, their benefit. Anyway, what yes. do you see as the limits of this? Is it, the, the fear obviously in the West is that this escalates. And that we end up in a nuclear war. That's worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's worst case scenario, and I think there's there's very little chance of that. There's obviously always going to be some chance of that. And and the argument that, that Putin has completely lost his marbles is is worst case scenario for that, because that makes him doing something like that yes. much more likely. But but I'm not sure that that arguing that Putin is crazy is the right argument because the reason he looks crazy is because his motivations are so foreign to us. But I think you hit the, the nail right on the head, Dan, when you talked about how historically nation states have gone to war, not just for material gains, but mostly for glory, mostly for non-material reasons. And I think, I don't think this is very different from that. I think the Soviet Union fell in 1991 and, and, and we all moved on. But Russia didn't, you know what I mean? That that Russia hasn't quite moved on from that. I mean, Belarus, who's an ally of Russia, still has strong ties with Russia that are very Soviet-era-esque. As early as, I mean, as recently as 2013, Ukraine had a president who was publicly pro-Russia and was working to increase economic ties with Russia and decrease economic ties with with Europe. So so in many ways, you know, you have Ukraine that's on the fence here between a modern Europe and a Russia that hasn't quite gotten past Soviet era ways of thinking, which is insane to me. You know, thinking of it that way is in, is insane to me, but I think there's it is. there's some truth to it. Um in the leadership, yeah, yes, in the leadership it's interesting. Specifically, the, the Russian and, and, younger generations are seem more and more Western, in part because of access to the internet and things like mm -hmm. that. But the, but they're not the ones in power. Yeah, and and yeah, and it's it's not a democracy really in any way, shape, or form. No matter 
what Russia may claim to be. And so, <laughs> and so there are some limitations to how the people feel about it. But it's, yeah, it, it's, tactically, it just seems like a big mistake. The, the, but, but as you were saying, it's interesting that one of, one of Putin's heroes is Peter the Great. And that may not, in some ways, that's not that surprising in that he was a very famous Russian uh, leader. He was a leader from the 1700s in a, in a, in fought in a major war, you know, engagements with the, the Ottoman Empire and things. And the, it was a time where empire was the goal, where, you know, this mm-hmm. is the time when, when everyone, the, the great European countries are spreading and the, and that's a, that's the sign of your power and influence and things as you, you colonize, you conquer, etc. And it was, it was, an age where the militaries were modernizing and you were seeing new things and serious expansion from very powerful countries across a world where most of the world wasn't, right? Most of these are centered in Europe and spreading outward. Um, and it's, it's just interesting that he would, I, it, it is weird for me to imagine that someone still thinks like that, but he appears that that's one possible explanation that he does think like that, that he's still in that mindset and that as he's getting older, and as he's longing, or is you know, pro what the Soviet Union used to be, that he he wants to return to some of that glory, some of that prestige and power that the Soviet Union used to have, which included having conquered these lands, having these lands as a part of them, even though in this stage of the world that's not that's not as directly beneficial or as things as it as it used to be. I don't know. A man from another era is a. It's a way to think of it and maybe to explain some of his motivations. Yeah, and, and I think the other thing to think here is that this era is not as far away as no, no as us point. young people think it is. Long. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like like I'm I'm, you know, twenty seven years old, so so my distant past is conflict in the Middle East, but that's not even that old. And yeah. and that's a time when when people still believe they could gain things through military conflict you know you know naked land grabs naked acts of aggression are not part of the distant past and but they're a part of the distant past when it comes to most of western civilization when it comes to europe it's part of the distant past and i think that is is part of what's what's made this one a little bit more unique like yeah this isn't the first conflict we've had since world war ii you know i mean you know the u.s has been engaged in several full-scale wars since world war ii and many other nations have been at war with many other nations in in these in these past decades but this is the first time that there's been a major conflict in Europe, where one nation has just straight up invaded another since, I mean, basically since World War II. And and that's what's made it so unique. And the fact, as you said, that Russia wasn't able to play it off as something different like they did eight years ago when they yeah. did it in 2014. In 2014, they were able to convince Europe or muddy it up enough that this was not clearly just an invasion. And because they couldn't do that now, they broke a an unspoken rule and and caused all I mean it's not even an unspoken rule. I mean all these members of the European Union, all these members of NATO, these are ironclad rules. 
but because of Ukraine's unique position, they were somewhat shielded from them. But it doesn't change the fact that this is violating a psychological barrier for people in Europe and these Western countries who believe that war is part of the past and seeing Russia commit a naked act of aggression for no, for no viable or legitimate defensive reason, who, who, who's going to be in favor of it? You know what I mean? This, this right. is just not acceptable anymore in, in this part of the world. And the, the military buildup that it has inspired in Europe is interesting. We'll see how far it goes, but initially places like Germany are arming. Um, they well, and, committed and more, to... And, go ahead. I was just going to say, speaking of, of places like Germany, Germany is, is one of the countries that has broken a long-standing rule in order to send weapons to Ukraine. Normally, Germany's with, withheld itself from, from direct involvement like that. Switzerland has, has <laughs> enacted sanctions against Russia. This is the same Switzerland that said they were going to be neutral during World War II. They're like, yeah, this isn't our fight. You know what I mean? The fight that everyone agreed was everyone's fight. Switzerland was like, nah, we're good. But, but they've come out of their, they've come out of their neutrality for this one. I mean, it's, it's crazy the kind of unified front we're seeing here that you haven't seen in a very long time. Yes, it is. I, I've got to think that it, that Putin's best play would have been, even if this was the plan, right, for him to invade and he was going to do these things, that at some point there, before he pulled the trigger, he should have said, if we, we, this is not going to look right. <laughs> this is, this, the, the optics of this are all wrong. And if we just back off, we can still pretend it was just a training thing and mm -hmm. the U.S. will look stupid. It'll look like they wanted mm -hmm. war, right? It'll, it would, it would have actually been to their advantage. They're calling for like false flag attacks and, and these other things. There was some really epic trolling from the U.S. foreign, foreign minister where they're cracking jokes about the U.S. invading all the time and, <laughs> or the U.S. predicting they would invade all the time. They should have just run with yeah, that. Russia backed was off, jokes. rethought their life. Russia was poking fun at us saying, if you could just give us a calendar of, of days that we're going to invade Ukraine, we'll know to take mm -hmm. that, those days off in the future. Um, and, uh, it was, it was really funny, less funny after you invade, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Less. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, oh, oh, okay. You're terrible human beings. And they could have, they could have walked away and had some, at least a moral victory over the U.S., right? And been like, they could have done their intimidation of Ukraine. Ukraine says no, NATO. They walk away. The U.S. looks stupid for having said they're no, they're going to invade. But they pulled the trigger, and it and it was a, and it's been disastrous. No, and and it's and and I have to think that that Putin didn't think the reaction of Europe would be this strong, simply for the fact that I didn't think Europe's reaction would be this strong. Yeah, even I didn't think they'd if, arm. I didn't think even, they'd ever arm, even with it being this clearly an act of yes. aggression i didn't think the response would be this strong and so so i think i think the russian government especially those parts who were involved with this decision making thought they would use a false flag attack that would muddy the waters they would get europe to mostly stand by the side and they could basically topple the ukrainian government and replace it with a puppet government without much fuss like the, yeah there'd be some sanctions and some some you know, ruffled feathers, but for the most part, they'd be able to get away with it. 
And it would take just a couple days. And it would take it just would, a few days. And, and that would be part of why it would be successful is because the whole thing, by the time people start getting upset, it's over. You know what I mean? If, yes. If this, even with the false flag not working, if this had taken three days and it was all over, it might still have worked. You know what I mean? That's true. The sanctions that's start true. coming in, no, but if you point. can wrap it up and say it's over, it's done, you know, we've, you know, this, it's, it's over. We're withdrawing yeah. troops. R- Ukraine's its own country again, even though now it's really not. You know what I mean? Yeah. At least on yeah, paper. You, yeah. In that world, a puppet government makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. You pull, mm-hmm. you pull troops out. You go, yeah, yeah, we were just, we're done with that. Nothing's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, but all these things together, which, which, like I said, we couldn't predict, many experts couldn't predict. And so all these things together have really, have really ruined these plans. And so it makes sense. And so now, I mean, it makes sense in this crazy world. I should clarify. I mean, that's <laughs> a strong term. And so and Some so of the now, pieces are lining up, yeah. And so now with everything falling apart, I think in many ways, it's just saving face. That if they can't, if they can't at least win the battle on the ground, then it's just a disaster. You know, the kind of disaster that can that can destabilize a government. You know, yes. you launch an invasion and not only does the whole world turn against us, but you can't even win a ground war in Ukraine against, you know, 10 to 1 odds or with 10 to 1 odds. It if it did fail, it would be interesting to see what happens internally in Russia. Putin will be hard hard up to the hard uh what's the what is this extremely ordinary phrase I'm looking for? Hard pressed, mm-hmm. <laughs> be difficult yeah, for for Putin. <laughs> Almost be difficult, difficult for Putin as... to keep his job. I mean, obviously yeah. he rigs the elections and things, but even with that, he needs you. Even a tyrant needs support. You know, even a dictator yeah. needs backing of powerful people and resources and things. And those people include uh, some of you may have heard about the Russian oligarchs that are kind of in the background of this whole thing. They're not going to be happy. They're already not happy, I imagine. And if this fails entirely, like it looks like, like it could, it's entirely possible that that uh, Putin ends up retiring or being retired. Mm-hmm. Which would be interesting. Be interesting to see a mix-up, a Russian mix-up of their of their replaced with somebody more temperate, more uh, more open to the West. And and that brings us to uh to everyone else's motivations. You know, we've talked about how this is a, a unique circumstance that's taking place in Europe. Um, but more than that, most Western civilizations consider themselves modern and not just modern, I mean, really they consider themselves having evolved past war, right? You know, that, that yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got Europe that hasn't been involved in any major conflict within their own borders. You know, Europe will send troops over, you know, uh-huh. as part of NATO actions in, in different areas, but, but there hasn't been serious conflict close by in, in so long. And so we've, we've considered ourselves beyond war in so many ways. And so, War at this point, especially on Europe's borders, is something everyone can get behind, which has inspired governments to take extra steps. You know, why is is Switzerland and Germany getting involved? Because at this point in the political climate that we live in today, politically, it's a home run that 
that no one is arguing against sending sending weapons to Ukraine. You know what I mean? Like like Biden promises 350 million in in weapons and supplies to Ukraine and and no one is bad mouthing that. You know what I mean? Like everyone, uh-huh. Republicans, Democrats, independents are on the same side. And part of it is the fact that at this point no countries are sending troops in, which means even the anti-war people who don't want our troops to get involved they're not upset either because our troops aren't getting involved. Like you can yeah. have your cake and eat it too, because in terms of a government budget, $300 million or $350 million is nothing. You know what I mean? We send that kind of foreign aid on a regular basis to all sorts of random countries. That's sending, lunch for the congressman. <laughs> sending $350 million in, in weapons and supplies to Ukraine costs us almost nothing but gains us all sorts of political capital. And by us, I mean the current government. I mean, Biden changed the first 10 minutes of his State of the Union, because you know that two weeks ago it wasn't about this, the first 10 minutes of his State of the Union to talking about Ukraine. And I'm sure if you looked at at graphs of how people responded to the speech, that those 10 minutes had the strongest universal approval of any portion of that speech. You know, that, I approved of it. Yeah, exactly. I listened to the. I hadn't listened to the whole speech. I, I did get through and, the war portion. And how I was often like, do you approve of Biden? This guy, <laughs> this guy is doing good things. Who knew? <laughs> He's a politician. <laughs> no, it, no, it. You can see why war is like you said. It's a home run for uh, executive officers across the world. Um, I mean, a great example of that. You need is, a good bad guy. Is is Trump? Trump made the I would call it a clear mistake. Yes, you guys remember Trump of of praising Putin. You haven't heard of him. He was president before Biden. But but he made the mistake of I think it was Friday, or at least it became public Saturday. But of Friday, of of claiming that Putin was smart after he invaded, and thus implying that the invasion was was smart, and trying to. Instead, badmouth Biden and the the Western response, and you can see yes. for the angle he's going for, he's trying to differentiate himself from Biden, trying to paint Biden as weak, something he's been doing for years, um, at least a couple years. But it 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 immediately backfired because everyone is against Putin, and so even <laughs> apparently siding yourself with Putin, even though you clarify that you don't think. That you know the invasion is is just, but still claiming that he's smart when he's launched one of the dumbest naked acts of aggressions we've seen in decades, and arguing that that person is still smart right after they invaded, puts you in a very very small minority in the world. Yes, (laughs) and it's the kind of mistake that very very few political operatives are making because there's no reason to. What what do we say? Trump said something ridiculous. Fortunately, it's extremely ridiculous, and on an issue in which everyone everyone is everything seems clear and it's clear and clear with every day how ridiculous it was. And Biden is doing. Biden just gave a speech, and it was it was decent. I mean, that's that's extraordinary. Well, I, I'd, a, I'd say the first a bad ten day minutes to be of Trump. the speech was decent. 
Yeah, you you mentioned that some of the contents later where he's resurrecting things that have died. Yeah, I mean, at, at one point he was talking about, yeah, talking about initiatives as if they were new ideas that have already failed. Like he brought up the $15 minimum wage and I was like, Biden, you do remember that you tried and you gave up and said it wasn't <laughs> worth it. And now you're bringing it up like you just thought of it. You know what? We need a $15 minimum wage. And everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> Forgetting the fact that you tried it, gave up, you know, and talking about parts of the Build Back Better proposal as if Build Back Better is still alive when it's yeah. it's basically died. But so if you're about to apply some pressure to the senators and you're going to get it. But it's it's the state of the union. It's it's a rah-rah. And, and especially yeah. when you start with that 10 minutes of 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 wartime president. Of things where there's no partisanship. Speeches. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's going to help him out. It's going to help him out in the polls at least a little bit. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if if this international – I mean, obviously, Republicans are talking about how bad he is and how every every look he sends in Putin's direction is miscalculation and weak. That he's like <laughs> – that he's this jellyfish of a man that <laughs> with no spine at all. And, and all of that's a lot of political posturing. We'll see how – we'll see how it shakes out. Um, there's an idea. Maybe we could – end with that if if uh i've heard a number of people say this if trump if trump were president this would have never happened um is the is the claim um i'd be curious what you think of it brad i think first off that that's impossible to say and the the reason that for there are obvious reasons why you'd want to delay between what Putin did in 2014 with the taking of Crimea and things, and this time here. You don't want those to be back-to-back because the point of it's it's critical that at the international level the water is muddy, as we've been talking about. That it's that there's there is the enough confusion that you can say we're not exactly sure. We think Putin's an aggressor, maybe, but but we're not positive. Um now it is possible that Trump's presence would deter Trump, would deter Putin. To the degree that Trump is not a stable human being. And I would hesitate. The most backhanded <laughs> praise I've ever heard. It is, it is 100% backhanded. If, if you were an internet, if you were a foreign dictator and you're like, you know, we can provide enough cover in this operation that Europe's not going to interfere. But Trump Who may tweet at 3 a.m. That he's going to invade us. Right? That, that, that the U.S. is going to war in Ukraine. <laughs> and, and so there is something to be said for the idea that even if, even, even not at the level of like, Trump is a strong man who's going to defend it, that you would wait. You would wait until he's gone because he's a wild card. Because you're not sure what he would do. And that, I mean, that at least, that, that made yeah, a little and, sense and, and to we me. Could it's play possible this, that and that we had could influence. Play this guessing game all yeah, day. Yeah, that's where we kick it around. That, you this could is also what, argue this is what almost everybody does all yeah. day. If you listen to a talk show on the mm-hmm. radio or something, they kick this around and they're like, "Oh yeah, Trump this, and Biden's you, weak." Because you could also argue that that no, you know, Putin would have actually thought that he could get away with his false flag attempt under under Trump as well, and because he thought he was going to get under get away with it here. And that no one yes. would do anything. And that yes. because it backfired and Trump was president, that it would have still happened. And that Trump would have had a strong response. 
and right now we'd be declaring war on Russia. And maybe not a nuclear war, but maybe we'd be in full-scale war with Russia over Ukraine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's 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 just as as I would say reasonable. It's just another ridiculous possibility that definitely could have <laughs> happened. You know what I mean? And, right, right. And the variables when it comes to foreign policy is is so hard to predict. I mean, it is. So, it so is. And people knows? say it like who it's knows? a sure thing. They mm-hmm. say it with absolute. You know, yeah, Republicans you will say with absolute certainty. It's a sure thing. No, for sure. Not. That Trump. That Trump's would have deterred this because Trump is strong. I don't even know what that means in terms of, <laughs> in terms of, of like. Uh, it's it's odd. It's no, odd. because because and you could even I'm make so another argument that that Trump and Putin had an active and fairly amicable relationship. So as as leaders of their you know countries, I'm not trying to insinuate something more than that. At least right now, but right. But with that context, you could also argue that that Putin would have pressured Trump not to do anything. You know what I mean? And and that pressure counts for something. You know what I mean? Yes, and that that's Putin's what the Democratic like, pundits would argue. Yeah, exactly. Is Biden so, is the strong one here, yes. And so I bring up these opposing arguments not because I think they're more likely than the other argument, but because I think these are all very realistic possibilities and and it's not clear-cut. And the reality is, is that it's happened and that we're here and that, yes, obviously it shouldn't have happened – but that's on Russia, and that's not on Ukraine, yes, and that's yes. not on the U.S., it's not on, on the Western nations, and surprisingly, how the Western nations have handled it has not been, has not been bad. I've, I've been generally impressed. Yes, yes, and I, it, the egocentris, egocentricity of, of everyone being like, this is America's fault, and America's to blame for this, and Biden's to blame, or, you know, the... That whole conversation is so tiresome and Uh and it's entire, it's, it can be interesting at some level, the level of what might be probable, but it is raw speculation. And it's, uh, it's just not, I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, a profitable conversation to have in which you would conclude something worth knowing and Mm -hmm. it was sure enough that you could base anything on. And it's just, yeah. Anyway. Um, before we wrap up, so we're, you know, there's a lot that's going to happen, um, and and we'll probably be covering this again in another week, and hopefully there's there's good news. But who knows? We're gonna link a couple of uh, podcast episodes that we found really helpful. Um, if you're looking for more information, and some of it is stuff that we drew information from, particularly the Jordan Peterson episode where he talks to a a Russia expert, Frederick Kagan, who has insights into Putin and some of the history there. So so definitely look at some of those. Some of those episodes, there's also some interesting data there that you can find, and then we'll follow up as soon as we can with with whatever's happening. Yeah, but likely by our next episode, whatever's going to happen will have happened. Whatever the long term, we'll have a much better idea of the long term. With that, thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks. Have a wonderful day.